Hello, Petruzerati. I'm Jazz Galanti, and welcome back to this episode on such a huge topic. We are finally talking about the deep, dark world of subgingival dentistry. This is the real world of dentistry that you don't see on Instagram as much. It's bloody, it's fiddly, and it just gets a little bit more complicated when it's subgingival. Every now and then, I ask you guys for a recommendation for a topic to cover on the podcast. And so many times, you guys have requested subgingival dentistry and retraction cords. Which cord should I use when? Should I always use double cord, single cord? Should I use PTFE? Should I soak both cords or soak one cord? Is it okay to sometimes remove the gingiva? Sometimes can I remove the papilla to allow my matrix to access the restorative margin? All these things we're going to cover today with Dr. Lincoln Harris. Now, as a you probably already know who Lincoln Harris is, but just in case you don't, you should totally check out episode 54. Dr. Lincoln Harris is one of my heroes, one of my mentors. I've seen him twice, once in Sydney, once in Singapore, live. These were live lectures. His energy, his engagement. He is well known all over the world. He's got one of the biggest groups in dentistry, over 80,000 members of Ripe Global. So I'll put the link in the show notes. This is a movement that he started. He encouraged dentists to share full protocol photos and now it's evolved into Ripe Global, which is making dental education accessible to all the world in a brilliant way with remote dentistry. And we talked about that in a few episodes before. But essentially today, I'm going to steal him and his expertise to talk about this very sought-after topic of subgingival dentistry. Lincoln Harris is the definition of a super GDP. He's just annoyingly brilliant at everything with all facets of dentistry. His communication powers that he shares, his treatment planning advice he shares is the best that I've ever come across. It's helped me a lot in my career so far. If you're in Europe or anywhere near London, then I would invite you to come and join us to see Lincoln Harris live in London for a full day keynote lecture from class one composites to complicated crown preps. We've got Lincoln Harris over all the way from Australia to talk about all these things to young dentists. I'm just gonna be very blunt when I say this. Um, I paid thousands. I'm just gonna be very blunt when I say this. I paid thousands when I saw Link in Singapore. I paid thousands when I saw him for a two day lecture, just pure theory lecture uh, in Sydney. Uh, and I got every penny's worth. I made tenfold back just from his communication gems alone. And Lincoln is now coming from Australia to Europe, to London, to lecture specifically for young dentists because he wants to give back. This lecture is gonna be a bargain because what he wants to do is make dentistry accessible just like he's doing with Ripe Global. So if you're in London on 1st of October, that's a Saturday, Saturday 1st of October at the Guy's Hostel campus, then do join us for this live event. It's very rare that he's in um, England lecturing by the way. It's a must-see lecture. He's, he's a very engaging lecturer. He's a brilliant educator. His energy is brilliant. So if you haven't ever seen Lincoln Harris before, you should come and join us. The event's called De-Stress Dental and the URL for it is de-stress.dental. So if you check out de-stress.dental in your browser, check out the, the date. And if it all works for you, come along, come along, see Lincoln Harris. It's going to be a sold out event and we're excited to host Lincoln Harris. The early bird rate expires on the 14th of September and it's just £149 if you're more than five years qualified. If you're less than five years qualified, it's £99. And if you're a dental student, DM me. I can sort you out with something even more special than that. Today's protrusive down pearl, I'm going to keep it really quick because I want to jump straight to the main interview, which is full of so many gems with Lincoln Harris. So the pearl is is when using rubber dam and you're trying to invert that rubber dam, you're trying to tuck it into the sulcus. So you don't want the, the rubber dam coming out, you want to tuck in nicely uh, around the gingiva. It leads to prettier photos, but also actually improves your seal as well. So how do you do that effectively and efficiently? Well, I've always instructed my nurse to hold the three-in-one and my nurse is instructed to blow air, or my DA is instructed to blow air as I'm using my flat plastic instrument around the sulcus. So if I am on the buckle, he or she is uh, blowing air at the buckle where my flat plastic is and I'm just tucking that rubber dam in. And as I'm going around to the mesial, she's following with the air, as I'm going around the platal and distal. So at all times, wherever my instrument is, the air should follow. This makes it stupidly easy to invert your dam. If you do it without the air, it's frustrating, it's difficult. So that's my top tip when inverting rubber dam. Uh, and for those of you who are watching on YouTube, you just saw a video of me doing that. Now let's join the one you're waiting for, Lincoln Harris, to learn more about how to make these stressful situations just a little bit more bearable. 
Lincoln Harris, once again, for the third time back on Protrusive Down Podcast. Always, always, uh, you know, we we love having you on. So thanks so much for, for making time for these really important topics. Uh, Link, today we're talking about a real pain area because you're so good at covering these. I've seen so many of your infographics. You taught me, you introduced me to ViscoStat Clear, and we'll come on to that later, obviously. So subgingival dentistry, the dirty dentistry that you don't see on Instagram, that's what we're talking about. For those few people, once again, every time we have to do this, and who may not have heard of you, maybe this is the first ever time they listen to Protrusive and they've clicked this episode and like, who's this Australian guy? Please just introduce yourself uh, and what you represent. Hey, Jazz, it's, it's, uh, it's a great pleasure to be here. So thank you for having me back again. Uh, always entertaining for me to join you on these podcasts. I'm a general dentist. I have a practice full of general patients who have problems who, you know, my patients don't have nice gums. They turn up with perio, they bleed, uh, their caries are subgingival. They have all of the problems that, that, that regular patients have. And, but beyond that, obviously, I run, helped found the largest cloud, and only actually, cloud-delivered procedural training company in the world. So I do some lecturing as well, but we, you know, our, our complete focus is on helping people get the best education in the world as long as they have the internet. Guys, that was a very humble intro from Link because I'm I'm the first one to always say, and so so many of my peers that, that listen to you, follow you, Link, yeah, you're one of the best educators there are. Your cases, your full, your you created this movement of full protocol learning, which I think you know when you look back, uh, I do feel from from my exposure anyway that you were the real pioneer in in convincing us that hey, before and afters aren't really that valuable to a community of dentists. That's all about uh, sequential photographs, uh, and you've really taken that to the next level. So we owe you a lot as a profession. I know we talked about that a lot in the, uh, the sort of uh, last episode we done. So in this episode, we're going to dive right in. Right, we're talking about those deep subgingival cases where you're uh, you're you're sweating, you're changing matrices all time you're constantly battling that internal voice in your head how do i get this dry how do i isolate this and then you're just it's full of stress so let's take a more particular scenario which i think will be more helpful to our listeners deep surgical caries let's say a lower second premolar deep surgical caries and you're deciding to treat this direct so you can do a composite do restoration what works best in your hands to isolate those kind of cases well, that's actually the wrong question. The question is, how do you treat them? Because it's not just the isolation. So there's two types of deep direct restorations. The one is where you know it's going to be deep and you can plan accordingly. And the other one is where you don't know that it's going to be deep and you get caught by surprise. They're two different scenarios. And the reason why I outline them is that if we go back to extractions for a moment, when you are very experienced, you can look at the radiograph and go, that will be a difficult extraction or that will be an easy one. This one looks Absolutely. easy, but it's going to take me 45 minutes, even though I'm a very experienced dentist. But the problem is that when you're an inexperienced dentist, when you most need the help of being able to tell that it's difficult, you can't tell. You, When I was, for the first however many years of my practice, maybe 10 I would just get caught by surprise because I, I couldn't tell the difference. So if we go back to the deep restoration, once you have all of the skills to deal with this in a cool, calm and collected way, probably you're not going to get caught by surprise. You know which is easy and which is difficult. And I'm going to just lay out now that I have been through the full process of how you deal with these deep and difficult restorations. And what I can say now is that if you can recognize them ahead of time and it's in any way possible, Either do the surgery yourself or send it to a perio and get it turned into a supergingival restoration. Because what I, after many years of proving that I can treat a deep subgingival restoration, I've now worked out what happens is it takes a long time. I can't charge any more for it. Uh, whereas if I do crown lengthening, I get to charge for the surgery. I turn a very difficult situation into an easy one. And so that would be my first thing is that I've been through the full cycle from every patient must have perio surgery otherwise you're a biological width criminal to i can solve everything with restorative which is true i can to now it doesn't make sense to work that hard for the same pay so so that would be my first thing is mm -hmm, you, you mm -hmm. know if you can get it done or charge for the crown lengthening so it's a very simple procedure i mean crown lengthening is easier than dealing with it. I mean, yeah, on sorry. the note of crown lengthening, one one people who may argue against crown lengthening would be that you lose the papilla, 
uh, and therefore some are, some guys are proponents of and I actually am a fan of uh, the gingivectomy using a thermocut burr as well uh, get rid of the papilla and then now you have access your matrix can can get in your wedge can get in in those kind of subgingival cases uh, in your experience where do you lie in sort of crown lengthening getting rid of the papilla and that causing issues further down the line so I have done a lot of perio surgery for soft tissue grafting and in many of those surgeries, you lose the papilla. Uh, this is part of the procedure. Papillas are extremely important anterior for aesthetics. Papillas in the posterior, the, the posterior aesthetics is only important to dentists who take buckle photos with a mirror. Uh, like even a <laughs> direct photo, you, you can't see the papilla. So it's not like you get more plaque because you do or don't have a papilla. I mean, you can get more volume of plaque, but you can't get... You, the presence or absence of plaque is, is not determined by a papilla, it's determined by whether you clean or not. It's easier to clean when there's no papilla. So I say uh, to the papilla-loving folk, you're wrong. Uh, papilla files, papillas <laughs> at the front, uh, you know, wor worth the effort. Papillas at the back, you know, when they're gone, it's easier for everyone. So uh, you don't need, like, I don't know. I mean, the cases where one of the big benefits with you know, when I've done perio surgery is that when you raise the flap, you actually pretty much like if you do a dissection in the middle, you, you're going to lose some of the papilla. And then often if you have to do a bit of bone removal, you definitely go from having a papilla. And now papilla is a funny thing because a papilla is actually like the coal. So it has no, uh, the top of a papilla has no like effective keratinized epithelium the way the rest of your tissue does. So actually the cases where I've got rid of the papilla, so it's just epithelium, you know, and you, you widen out the space between the tooth, you need to actually have a bit of width to get a proper epithelium developing. It's easier to clean. So uh, papillas, don't care. There you have it, papilla files. I can't believe you weaseled that term in. <laughs> yeah, anterior, I'm a papilla file, posteriorly papillophobic. <laughs> They're a pain in the backside. Get rid of them. Okay, so, but I mean, now let's get back to the direct restoration where you haven't recognized or you don't have the skills or you're afraid to do the surgery or you don't want to refer it to the periodontist because he, I don't know, hasn't bought you enough dinners or something. Okay, so these are all, uh, you know, perfectly logical, evidence-based reasons. <laughs> so, the, oh, there's just so many variations. I know, if, it's, it's a bit of an unfair question. The first thing is, the very first thing is prep prep without mercy and what i mean by this is often when people start prepping a deep cavity they start going oh it's deep and then they start slowing down as if the speed that they prep the cat tooth at will make any difference to how deep or large the cavity is it's like when you go oh this this cavity might go to the pulp and then they start like Ooh, okay i mean this is one of the great crimes that gets inflicted on us is this idea that pulp exposures are our fault, okay? I mean, yes, we can avoid them mm. in certain circumstances, but sometimes we can't. And so if you can't, you can't. It's not like we put the caries there. So, so when you're going subgingival, prep without mercy. Now, you might go, but what about the gingiva? I might make it bleed. At, pretend there is no gingiva when you are prepping the caries. What about the bone? Pretend there is no bone. Just you must get the caries out. And so just do whatever. Now, from once you have the caries out, and so this... This prep without mercy thing, because people are often going, oh, I'm trying not to hit the gum because I'll make it bleed. You can stop the bleeding. Just prep the tooth. In fact, prep the gingiva as well. That, that's often better. So uh, then you've got to make a decision. And at that point is where it starts to be many options. So now you use a thermocut burr. For people who don't have a thermocut burr, you can use any fine burr. I use my either my flame tungsten carbide polishing burr, which is for you know, removing the overhang on anterior composites. So use that, turn the water, it's like a 24 bladed tungsten carbide finishing burr. So I use that, I turn the water off. You, it's very hard to cut tooth with it. Like you literally have to sit on the tooth for ages. And so, uh, but the, the more important thing when you're cutting tissue is that if you use a coarse diamond, it does so much trauma to the tissue, you can't stop the bleeding. And so to stop the bleeding, you have to use some sort of fine burr that, that, that cuts the tissue you know, with a cauterizing like a effect smooth almost. Cut. Yeah. Well, no, it doesn't need to be cauterizing. It needs to not be traumatic. And if you use a mm -hmm. coarse diamond, mm -hmm. it's putting all these like little tiny lacerations through the tissue. And so to stop it bleeding is more difficult. Uh, I also mm -hmm. use the standard superfine diamond that I use for finishing my crown preps. That's also a great burr for cutting the tissue. And so if you finish and you look at it and there's just a mess, then I will cut the tissue away with a gingivectomy. 
if it's not too much of a mess, then, you know, sometimes I will, that's one step is, so one step is you go, bam, you cut all the tissue away, you pack some cotton wool soaked in Viscostat clear in there and you leave it for a few minutes. And like, if you wait five minutes, it'll have stopped bleeding. You have to pack that cotton wool in. It, so it'll it'll go black, but it'll stop bleeding. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, mostly it goes black, not always, but mostly. Um, and it's just the <laughs> clotting blood. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this Protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. And then you decide from there. So often uh, the, the big trip, uh, trick with the gingivectomy is most people don't do enough. That's number one uh, because they're afraid. Like the difficulty with almost anything is like base jumping if you're going to base jump you have to jump with commitment otherwise you're going to hit the cliff just below where you jumped off and you'll die and so dentistry is the same that you if you don't commit to the procedure fully then it won't work so people go oh well i tried the gingivectomy and i still couldn't get the wedge in and that's because they didn't commit so uh, and often you actually have to take that gingivectomy right out to the buckle and to the palatal because they have these big high bits of tissue that sit there and you won't be able to place a wedge or a rubber dam. So that's one option. And then you decide, will I be able to place a wedge and a matrix? Now, the second big trick besides cut the tissue. Now, I will say, and this is a misconception, if you cut the tissue, it is easier to stop bleeding than if you don't. So if you have inflamed gingiva, and you don't cut it, it just bleeds and it bleeds because the surface of the tissue is inflamed and so all the blood vessels are very ready for inflammation. So if, if you like poke a cord into the papilla that is inflamed, it will bleed and bleed and bleed and it's very difficult to stop. Whereas if you cut the tissue back and you, when you cut it, you want to at least cut it back to fresh, healthy tissue that it will bleed, but that is controllable bleeding and much more controllable. And so this is, this is a big misconception. Then you have to go, can I get a matrix in? If you can get a matrix in, then great, put a rubber dam on, put a matrix and so on. But sometimes what happens is you go, oh, I don't know if I get a matrix in there. Uh, and then you start packing Teflon and you can get the Teflon beautifully sitting there or you can get a, you put a wedge in and the wedge sits beautifully against the tooth. Everything's lovely. But then you try and put the matrix in, the matrix gets a big kink and goes into the cavity and you're gonna end up with this massive like, I don't know, weird looking composite that, that has a big dip that goes into the cavity and then it comes Flat back track. out to the contact point. Yes. And so this was probably the second like massive mindset change for me. Often, particularly when you have rubber dam on, you pack that Teflon down there to retract the rubber dam down to the base of wherever you did the gingivectomy and to seal the blood. And the Teflon creates this perfect little matrix. And then as soon as you start sticking wedges and things in there, you can't get a decent contact at the margin. And so quite often, either the wedge or the Teflon becomes my small matrix for that first little part of the cavity. So the first couple of millimeters. Kind of like a, a deep margin elevation with the Teflon, right? That's right. Yeah, like do what you have to do, but sometimes the Teflon gives you the best, like you pack it down there and the, the flat plastic instrument I'm using to pack it is kind of smoothing that inside edge and then, and then it pushes down and then the rubber dam pops it back against the, the tooth. So the other option is sometimes you have the rubber dam on and everything's lovely and then the moment you put a cord or a wedge or a matrix, then everything goes terrible. And so in cases like that, I actually use no matrix at all for that first little bit. So you do your like bonding and then I will use flowable and basically just freehand build up two millimeters or so of, of flowable. Now, this is where you start wishing you'd done surgery because then you have to cut the webbing of the rubber dam and smooth that first bit of margin elevation because you haven't used any matrix at all. So you have to use like some sort of polishing burr 
that you can fit down in that area to smooth it against the tooth uh, so that you get rid of the overhang because you haven't used a margin and then you have to reapply the rubber dam and put a wedge in and so on. So there is no way to do this that is easy. <laughs> so I think that mm -hmm. like the, mm -hmm. the number one realization is if it's a deep margin, you are not going to do it in 20 minutes like everything else unless you're going to do a terrible job. It's going to take a while and don't panic. Just do each step one by one, slowly and calmly. Uh, I mean, once you have a matrix and a wedge in, then the rest is easy. It's it, like 90% of the difficulty is getting to the matrix and wedge with no blood and no exudate. So, I mean, that's... I think I think the key, key lesson you shared there, and you did it a couple of ways there, is be purposeful. Be purposeful in your preparation. Be purposeful in your gingiva removal. Whatever you're doing, do it purposefully. I think that's a, a key lesson to re-emphasize there. Yeah, look, depth of the cavity won't change if you prep slowly. So just prep fast. And <laughs> if it's subgingival, it's subgingival. You know, you're going to cut up the tissue. And then if you are going to cut the tissue, cut it away. And you go, but, but it will hurt. And you go, yes, yes, it will hurt. <laughs> I used to sleep. But it doesn't so, hurt you. <laughs> it doesn't. I feel nothing. <laughs> okay. and, and I know that sounds like a joke, but what I realized, and, and actually the big breakthrough for me was... We worry because we get beat up about being dentists, okay? We're all so insecure about being dentists because we get told that we charge too much and we cause pain and we're awful people, okay? And we get like smashed with this. And so we're like super trying so hard and so desperately, oh no, we don't charge too much and, and we're, we're lovely people <laughs> though, really, uh, and we don't cause you any pain. And so the big breakthrough for me in dentistry was when I realized I am a surgeon, I cause pain. Just accept it. I don't cause pain when I do the treatment, but afterwards, yes, I'm going to. And in the scheme of surgeries that people get, the pain that we cause post-operatively is hardly worth talking about. So mm -hmm. it takes tremendous effort to do pain-free dentistry because the patients are awake, they're not asleep. But post-operatively, dental pain doesn't even rate on the post-surgical pains. If anyone here has had a foot surgery done, they will know what proper pain is. That's like three months with your foot elevated. It hurts for six to nine months afterwards. And we're here worried about them, you know, like a five millimeter gingivectomy that will hurt for maximum four or five days. Like... I don't know. So I, I no longer that, that really about that. puts into perspective. I think I love that. That, yeah. that, that is so true. And I think uh, over the years, <clears throat> I've become a little bit more not not numb. I don't want to say numb because it's, it's harsh. I care about my patients. But you have to accept that, you know, the odd patient will get dry socket or there will be post-operative discomfort as part of the healing process. And to just like pain. you said, you are say a surgeon pain. Come uh, on. and you try your best. <laughs> Okay. Come on, say pain. pain. You, you can say it. Pain. There will be pain afterwards. Okay, get on the board with this. It's like soft tissue. Fine, it's like fine. soft tissue graft. It's, like, it's like therapy here. Yeah. yeah. It's like a soft tissue graft, okay? Like the patient goes, will it hurt? Yes. Like, don't negotiate on this. It's like, oh, yes, but you know. Like, will it hurt? Yes, but you'll get over it. Okay, like literally, I've never had a patient go after a soft tissue graft. I'm, I'm talking about where I harvest the tissue off their palate and it's not a subepithelial, so it leaves an open wound, which I cover with a, a dressing. But I've never had a patient say a year later, that was the most horrific thing, I would never do it again. Okay, after a couple of months, they've forgotten. So the, the problem is the patient will be afraid of anything that you are afraid of. So the big problem is not mm -hmm. the patient's fear, it's actually the dentist's fear. If you're afraid of a procedure, then you won't do it properly. Yeah, yeah and they totally sense that. Uh, amazing, so we covered that really well. The next thing was such a common question, Link, and we see it all the time uh, on, on the group, on Right Global, uh, is knowing which cords to use. And I don't mean like which brands. The common question I get from young dentists, and I wanna pass on to you is, do I always need to use two cords? Like, so you're doing a crown preparation or bridge preparation, uh, and so that decision-making process into, okay, when to cord, when not to cord, and then if you are cording, do you always have to use two? And then do you always remove the last one that you put in, or is it okay to keep them in? Let's talk about the sequencing and, and the troubleshooting and decision-making when it comes to cords. I think that'll be extremely valuable. So it would depend on are you taking a silicon impression or scanning because they're different. So that's the first thing. Let's go with both. Let's, let's talk with imps first. And then scan. Let's start with impression because most people will still do that, but within a year or two, most people will be scanning. Uh, and mm -hmm. once you go scanning, you never go back. Like the, the big advantage of scanning, so I was a late convert to scanning, but now I'd never go back. 
the big, there's two big advantages. The occlusal records with scanning are far superior than anything you can do with bite registration. Like the first time I did a full arch of ceramics with prime scan and like 10 units, design, milled, whatever, pop them in, bang, 10 clusal dots, perfect. I've never had that from a lab ever in my entire life. It always takes adjustment or a secondary bite record. So that's, and then the second one is you can tell if your scan is bad while you're doing it. Whereas an impression, you have to wait three and a half minutes, pull all the retraction cords out, and then you basically want to go outside and drown yourself. So when you find <laughs> out that the, the distal of the second molar has a drag for the third time and you have spent 45 minutes taking impressions, the pain. Okay, so impressions. <laughs> impressions, uh, your dental school is correct. Everyone does the right procedure at dental school. They graduate, all uh, Satan comes and sits on their shoulder and says, I think you only need one cord or you need no cords. Usually Satan comes in the form of, well, temptation comes in the form of, you know, some experienced dentist saying, well, that's not necessary. Come here, young man, young lady, I'll tell you the correct way to do this. So, and then you spend longer taking your impressions because you take the first impression and then it's rubbish. And then you take the second impression and it's rubbish. And then you take the third impression and you go, look, I got an impression without using two cords. Woo! Okay, so impressions, two cords. You put a skinny cord in, for me, it's Ultra Pack Triple Zero, uh, not because it's the best thing on the market. It's just because it's what I have used for many years and I'm reluctant to change. It is a braided cord, so it doesn't tear apart so much. Uh, someone has told me recently there are better cords, so I might have to change my ways. So that one, if the tissue is not bleeding, I don't soak it in anything. If it's patient with a bloodbath, I soak it in Viscostat Clear and then I pack that cord. That will basically stop the bleeding and it stops the exudate, you know, the, or cravicular fluid, uh, but it doesn't give you lateral retraction. Now, cord is not meant to retract tissues vertically. So you're not trying to get a deep sulcus, you're trying to get a fat sulcus. Mm -hmm. So then the second cord, uh, which in my case will be a zero ultra pack because I don't like to use too many things. Uh, and I'm not usually going to dip this one in Viscostat Clear unless once again it's still a bloodbath which preferably it's not by this point but if it is then i will pack i will you just dip it in and then you got to you got to wipe off the excess with gauze otherwise you have too much excess and it's going everywhere and it tastes awful oh the patients always complain about the taste yeah well, maybe you should uh you know stop slopping it on their tongue jazz so uh, uh, I, I think there's a yeah. something to be learned here for me yes <laughs> advanced techniques don't slop the viscostat clear on the patient's tongue <laughs> i mean yes they do i mean you get those patients who like like to be helpful so you're doing a very delicate procedure and i think do you know i think the best way to help you would be to get my tongue and stick it right in the middle of your bone graft and flick it all about so certainly uh that is a universal patient problem Fat cord, so when you're using the second cord, which is a fat one, you want to, first of all, for neatness and photographic excellence, always start on the same <laughs> part of every tooth. So always start on the mesial of the tooth. And then you pack always to the buckle, and then you go distal, and then you go lingual or palatal, and then you go back to the mesial, and then you cut the tail. And that way, all your tails will be on the same side of every single tooth. And so when you go to remove them, if it's like five or 10 in a row, it's easier to grab the tails. And when you take a photo, it looks nice. Now, <laughs> the secret, of course, is you have to wait five minutes if you want your cord to work. This is where everyone goes wrong. And when you pack that second cord, you don't want to pack it below the tissue. You're only packing it equigingival because you're using it to push the tissue laterally you're not trying to get a deep sulcus. That's so important. I, I just want to add the link actually. Um, when, when I've made that mistake before of, of putting the zero in too deep, what, what tends to happen, and I think you've demonstrated this before again in your cases uh, of, of how to avoid this, is that the tissues then sort of uh, sulk in, right? And it has yeah, the exact opposite the effect that you want. Uh, collapse, that's a good word. Yeah, it collapses over the top. And if you are placing your second cord and, you, and it's really deep, sulcus you sometimes can't help that as you're packing it the tissue collapses over the top and you actually have to then if you've got a long enough piece continue around the tooth a second time or cut another piece and go around the tooth a second time and have three cords but you have the second cord cannot have any tissue over the top or the third cord so there are some times where i've had to go around the tooth you know two times and on the distal of a lower second molar where you've got really thick tissue 
or an upper second molar. Sometimes you need even three. Like you, you do what you have to, or you sometimes have to get a piece of cotton out of your cotton roll and stuff that in to get enough lateral retraction. So it doesn't matter how many bits of cord you do, but you must not have tissue collapsing over the top. And then you have to wait five minutes because if you don't wait five minutes, the tissue is not retracted. So if you place the second cord and then one minute later pull it out, the tissue immediately collapses and you lose everything. And then if it was bleeding, it immediately starts bleeding. And why do you need two cords? Mm -hmm. Because when you place one, it always starts bleeding when you pull it out unless you have, you know, unless you're one of those dentists where every single patient has had periosurgery and soft tissue grafting and stuff. And that's just not realistic for most general dentists. And the reason that the width of the sulcus is so important is because silicon has a certain surface tension. And so if that gap between the tooth and the uh, tissue is too narrow, the silicon actually can't flow in there. So it exceeds the viscosity. The viscosity is not low enough. Even the light body silicon is not low enough to flow into such a tiny gap. Or if it does, it will be like this tiny fin of silicon and it will tear off as you pull the impression out. So you want, if you have a big fat gap, you know, that's half a millimeter wide or a millimeter wide, the silicon will just fall in there and it won't get bubbles and it's easy. So that's uh, Do you use an electrocord tree for when, when the tissues start to collapse over? Have you, uh, do you have an electrocord unit? Do you recommend using it as an adjunct to your cording? So if you have one and you're good at using it, then sure, use it. I don't have one. Well, I do have one. It's in storage somewhere. It's like, I don't know, I just never got in the routine because I didn't need it very often. And then when I did, I couldn't find it. So... Uh, it's currently with the amalgam carriers. <laughs> so real world. I mean, if you have a, it's the same with lasers. Uh, lasers are great. If you have a laser, use a laser. I don't have a laser. And, and when I teach, because most people don't have lasers, I don't want to teach a procedure that most people can't do. What I do know is that, and I have to re reiterate, five minutes of waiting will seem a very long time. If you don't set a timer, you won't wait. And so if you don't wait five minutes, your second cord does nothing. You may as well not use it. Now, if we go to scanners... Often with scanners, you don't need a two chord technique, but you may need to go to an even bigger chord than a zero. So with a scanner, if you have one big fat chord and you can get it down and it retracts the tissue laterally, particularly if you're only doing a small number of teeth, then that gives you a clear margin and that's all you need. Because with a scanner, you don't need very much or almost no vertical depth to your sulcus at all you just need a clear edge. So basically, as long as that big fat retraction cord is very slightly below, then you're going to get a good impression. Uh, whereas a, that doesn't work scan. as well. Yeah, yeah, sorry, but good scan. So uh, now I'm only moving into trying that technique. Now with both of them though, that is when I'm doing a standard prep, like a, a prep with some type of margin. So chamfer, shoulder, something like this. The moment I'm moving to vertical preps, now I'm moving to Teflon because with vertical preps, you can, first of all, you can prep on top of Teflon, whereas you can't prep on top of cord because if you prep on top of cord, even with a safe ended burr, the cord will helicopter and frighten the life out of you. You know, it's like, you know, nice, relaxing afternoon, <laughs> warm sun trickling through the windows, leaving dappled light on the floor and next thing, and you have a piece of cord helicoptering <laughs> on your high-speed burr frightening everyone so <laughs> so teflon teflon you can prep on top of and you can prep even with a diamond burr but it will erode it away but uh with safe end of burrs i will pack teflon sometimes uh sometimes i had a case the other day where i actually purposefully it was a perio case and there's just a few little areas where it wasn't healing and in a case like that i will actually purposely prep without Teflon as close to the bone as I can and cause as much damage to the surrounding tissues as I can and prep the surface of the tooth so it's perfectly clean and the tissue heals very very well uh, it's like the ultimate periodontal therapy so well as good a periodontal therapy as you get without flapping the entire arch so but in, in that case link like you're probably uh, doing a long-term temporization provisional and then when you come to actually uh, scanning at that point you're going to go back to your PTFE at that point Depends. So Teflon is the cord of choice. First of all, if you haven't used Teflon, uh, go and read on Instagram. I've got a little infographic on how not to get incredibly sad when you try and use Teflon for the first time. Because the first time you use Teflon, it will just keep coming out. It's not an easy thing to use. So where I've prepped down to the where I've prepped down to the gingiva, I've created a giant mess and whatever, and I've let it heal. 
When I come back the next time, it will depend on how the tissue is looking. Uh, Teflon is very aggressive. It's a very, very aggressive retractor. So it retracts far more deeply and aggressively than cord does because to get it to actually stay on the sulcus, you have to pack it really, really hard. And so it would depend on how much retraction I want as to whether I'm going to use Teflon at the second visit or not. I mean, if you have, theoretically, if you've had beautiful temporaries in there for a while, then you shouldn't need any cord. That's the, you know, <laughs> the original BOPT technique or mm -hmm. only a, like mm -hmm. a little fine cord. Um, this is where you get into, and I think it's very important for people to know that you don't always just like choose the method and you get it right. Like sometimes you're getting halfway through and you go, this is not working, and then you do something else. So mostly I'm using Teflon when I want to do a single stage vertical prep, take the scan on the same day, and I'm going to place, place a thin cord that's usually either a thin cord that's been treated and then put Teflon over the top, or I'm going to place just prep and then place Teflon and then place a thick cord to retract the sulcus. Uh, and do the scan then so that and scanners love teflon because the color contrast between the white teflon and the mm. edge of the tooth is so profound they just pick it up really 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 well so this is like there's the standard method and then there's the this is not working i have to try something else method well yeah or you mentioned instagram the the teflon frustration post i've got it up now that got so much love uh, on insta and it so should because it's such a pain i said it look i said it pain point uh, for, for dentists all over the world so i think that was uh, that was awesome so guys if you haven't seen it i'll pop it up on the screen now so you can see that and follow the link in the in the show notes to to find that post and all of other posts by lincoln uh, now lincoln it was actually lincoln and pasquale venuti uh, when i went to see them in sydney some years ago who taught me about reconsidering how i cord uh, or how i isolate for class fives i went through a stupid phase of using rubber dam and uh, you get in the brinkers and and, and as pasquale described at, the, at that event it was like a circus uh, and then I, I switched to teflon in the sulcus and under magnification i noticed how much drier i was able to keep my field uh, and so i my bias for class fives is teflon now how about you is that something that you're still doing or have you changed or have you found a different way to isolate the the sulcus of class five restorations oh, yeah. there are many things in dentistry where you do them first to prove that you can and then once you've proven that you can do them now you're well able to choose whether it's a good idea or not so i went through a stage of rubber damming everything so I've proven that I can do it and now I can not rubber dam where I think it's inappropriate. And there's a number of times when rubber dam is inappropriate. And one of them is the class five, mostly, particularly at the front of the mouth, my isolation technique of choice will be an optra gate to hold all the lips and cheeks out of the way. And then I'm, if it's a deep class five in particular, I'm going to place Teflon and then I'm going to often do a gingivectomy down to the Teflon so I can find the margin. Because often when you have a deep class five that's slightly subgingival, then the tissue gets inflamed and it gets even bigger still. And also that inflamed tissue, you can never stop it bleeding. So you want to place the Teflon, cut the tissue away if, it, if you need to, and then scrub with vis Viscostat Clear or put some cotton on there that's soaked in Viscostat Clear and leave it. And why, where people have the massive stress is they panic. So they, they cut the tissue and then it's bleeding and they go, oh my goodness, it's bleeding. How will I ever do this filling? I'll never be able to do the filling. Oh my goodness. And so what you need to do is go, first of all, I'm going to retract the tissue. Do not think about anything else except that one part of the procedure. I'm going to retract the tissue and I'm going to retract it properly and that's it. So then get your Teflon and retract the tissue. Now you're going to go, I need good access to the cavity. Do I have that? If not, cut the tissue. And don't think about the bleeding and all the other things because you deal with that later. What happens is once you start thinking about, okay, right now I need to do retraction, but it, what if I start bleeding? Okay, now you're thinking about two parts of the procedure simultaneously. And then you go, but if I retract and then I can't see the cavity, I won't be able to restore it. And then it might start bleeding. Now you're thinking about three parts of the procedure. And then you go, and then how will I shape it? Now you're thinking about four parts of the procedure and you're not even done one. And so what's happening is that you are using up your entire mental capacity and you haven't even started doing something. And so now it's really tiring because you're thinking about four things simultaneously and people cannot multitask. The idea that you can multitask is wrong. It, it is not physically possible to multitask. What you actually do when you think about more than one thing at a time is you switch. So a fighter pilot, 
they can't multitask, but fighter pilots are chosen because they have a very low switching cost. That energy that they burn to switch between three different tasks is very, very low. And they're physiologically chosen because they can do that. Now, as dentists, we're not chosen. We don't go through a fighter pilot selection test, which like a fighter pilot selection test is they have like a little video game that they have to pay whilst recognizing colors and doing math equations simultaneously. So that's how the, the selection criteria, we don't get that in dentistry. So if you continually change and think about four different things, you are draining your brain's energy massively. You're fatiguing yourself. The second thing that happens is that if anything goes wrong in the procedure or anything is not quite right, you are already maxed out. You have no reserve left to deal with this. And that's when you are just staring at the tooth and you pick up an instrument and you put it down, and you pick up another instrument, you put it down and you're actually doing nothing effective. It's because you've actually, you're like a computer that has maxed out their memory. It's now crashed. And so it's common for dentists to crash. And that's when they just go, I don't care anymore. I'll just do anything. Okay. Because they have, they literally have given up because they have no capacity left. So only do one thing at a time. So place the retraction, get it perfect. Like imagine you're not allowed a second chance. So if you don't get it perfect, the first go, you're not allowed to go back ever. Okay. And a crocodile eats you. <laughs> so like pack that cord down. Uh, only in Australia like, does that happen. Uh, I'm trying to think of something dangerous in the UK. <laughs> uh, there, there, there's no such thing. When, when you compare it to Australia, it's just there's, there's, everything's tame. It, it might, you know, it's, it's, everything's you tame. You turn up to Wimbledon and you're wearing the wrong clothes for a high society day. Okay, that dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that sounds more like it. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, you're dressed in a tux and everyone else is wearing cool whites. Oh, okay. That level of danger. And then... If the tissue's in the way, cut the tissue. Only focus on that. Like gingivectomy is a very simple procedure. You get a tungsten carbide burr, bat burr, any sort of burr actually, uh, just not a coarse burr, and then trim the tissue away. Turn the water off so that you get sort of a cautery effect. And then you go, okay, now I need to stop the bleeding. And then pack some cotton soaked viscous. And that's it. Don't do anything else and wait five minutes and do nothing else until it stopped bleeding. Okay, now you can focus on the cavity. So like... This is why dentistry gets stressful because when it's a procedure that's like multi-stages, so, you know, it's first you, you're doing a, a, a DO composite, okay? Single procedure. Now you're doing a DO composite plus dealing with subgingival restoration and gingivectomy and bleeding gums. Now you're doing actually like three procedures. And if you try and think about all three at once, you'll just crash. So you only do each step one at a time. This is when dentistry stops being stressful. It's when you do one thing at a time. I think that's going to resonate so well with everyone listening. Certainly, it reminds me of errors I've made, and I think everyone listening is just nodding their head. And I, I think that was a, you know, you've been on point today with your humour, Link. I've enjoyed it a lot. So, so the lesson there was, guys, uh, with class fives, one thing at a time. Uh, and yeah, Teflon is something that you're still a fan of as well, and it works well for class fives. And certainly, you made it clear that rubber dam isn't really well suited for class fives, right? Yeah, I mean, it depends. Rubber dam is well suited for easy class fives. So if it's an easy class five, mm -hmm. use rubber dam. If it's a deep one or it's subgingival, then I can do it. But the thing is, you're going to place a brinker. You've got to retract the tissue. There's always the risk that your brinker will slide off the tooth right at the most crucial part. And then it, rubber dams don't necessarily give you good water seal. And so quite often the water is wicking up underneath the rubber dam. And so then you have to place Teflon anyway. And so at that yeah. point, it's silly. I mean, another example of this is, you know, we have to do bonded restorations, but if you look at most deep margin elevation books in the world, the deep margin elevation bit, which is the most crucial part of the entire restoration, is done without rubber dam because it's impossible. Mm. So, so mm. like, uh, you know. So true. Yeah. And also keep in mind that there are significant differences between how clinics run. So, like my experience in many parts of Europe, particularly Eastern Europe, is that people don't use the same amount of dental assistant capacity as... So as countries get more expensive and as time and money get more expensive, so, you know, in London, your rent is very expensive. And so it's not the cost of having staff is less of a concern and is more just a mindset of, you know, you have one assistant or maybe even two so that you can work really fast. 
And so if you're working with one really, really good assistant, they can help you or two, particularly if you're working with two, you can have one assistant that's entirely devoted to isolation and controlling moisture. And then you can have another one who's doing all the other stuff. And so this makes a big difference. Whereas if you are in a small, you know, like I have some colleagues who are amazing dentists, but they work often alone. Like they have one, one assistant who also does reception and sterilizing. And so that assistant is off a lot. And these dentists have to use rubber dam for everything because it's like their dental assistant. So there is a huge variation in, you know, culture and the business practices of how practices run. And that actually has an impact on you know, the way that you isolate as well. I didn't even uh, consider that, actually. Uh, very good point. Uh, now, Link, I just want to say, uh, wrap up this episode with an announcement that you're coming to London to, to speak to, to dentists. <coughs> I mentioned in a previous episode as well. Uh, and the, the main title of your event is, is, is brilliant, guys. You have to listen to this, right? It's very much you know, in tune with what we spoke about today. And as you can see, Link is such a, a real-world dentist. Like, he's a world-class dentist. But what I love about Link is he's real-world. He treats real-world patients. He understands our struggles. They're real. So the, the topic is de-stressing dentistry from class one composites to complicated crown preps. And I think what I love is when you wrote this up, you said, according to the University of Instagram, all patients want mouthful of veneers and tiny little super gingival class two composites. And obviously that's tongue in cheek, but it's such a great theme. Uh, just give us a flavor about the other kind of things that you were talking about on that day. I basically just want to talk about the most common procedures that causes stress, which is our everyday procedures but when they're difficult. And, and class two composites or composites in general or uh, crown preps that are deep, badly broken down with patients that are difficult to get numb and they've got a big tongue and they're gagging. That is, because I'm a multidisciplinary dentist, I can tell you that a deep class two composite can be more difficult than a sinus lift. So a, you know, not more difficult than a really difficult sinus lift, because there are some really difficult ones, but on average, the only reason that we think sinus lifts are more difficult than class two composites is usually we've done about 10,000 class twos and we've done about you know, either zero or a very small number of sinus lifts. And so actually the most common procedures that we do in dentistry are the most difficult. And the only reason that's not recognized is due to the massive repetitions that, and the fact that we get taught them early in life, but they still have difficulty. So the, the things that we'll be talking about is the actual techniques of it, but even more importantly is the psychology of how you maintain a clear head and don't fatigue. And you will have heard me mention some of that, but this is most crashes in aviation, which is the equivalent of when you do a procedure and it just goes out of control and you end it, you finish the procedure, you don't feel good about it because you know it wasn't a controlled procedure and so you're not sure if it's going to be great or not. Mostly that occurs not because you don't have the skill or the knowledge or the ability, it's because what's called human factors, which is the stress and the mental fatigue got to you. And under stress, this is well-researched, under stress, your ability reduces by 85%. So. If you can only just do a procedure when you're relaxed, you actually cannot mentally do it when you're stressed. And so it's all it's not just about how do we make the procedures more of a straightforward protocol, but how do we mentally and psychologically do a procedure and prepare ourselves for a procedure so that we don't end up in that massive mental fatigue state where everything just goes out of control and you finish the day and you want to quit the profession. So those two things are very important. The latter part of it is not studied or talked about, but it is talked about very much in paramedics, in fire brigades, in aviation, in anything where people die. They study human factors, which is how you deal with things under stress. So we'll talk about that uh, and how to deal with that. And I think that that bit is almost as important as the clinical part, maybe even more so. You're so right. It's, it's stuff that's not talked about enough. Uh, and that's why I've always, you know, enjoyed going to your live lectures, online stuff, because you talk about the, the real nitty gritty things. And also, you know, you, you draw these comparisons with other industry, in, industries. Aviation is a common one that you, that you talk about as well. Uh, and how what we can learn. I know you talk about ophthalmologists. You talked about last episode about how they have so much training and you made that comparison. You're full of a lot of wisdom and I can't wait for you to share it uh, in London with us. So, guys, I'll put everything in the show notes. Uh, Link, thank you for talking about retraction cords. I know for a fact, I guarantee 
guarantee it that this episode will get a lot of engagement because something as basic as retraction cords, as we talked about a few times ago, actually, the basic things are the things that really, really, really are the most helpful when we're, when we're talking, when we're creating content to help people. So I think this is going to go down really well. As always, I thank you for, the, for your time, despite the time differences. Well, look, it's... Uh... Always, always fun talking to you, Jazz. You are a man full of energy and uh, it's very exciting. So that, you know, the, the thing about basics is just because something is basic doesn't mean it's easy. This is the great mistake. Mm-hmm. So the basics of dentistry are frequently very difficult things. So it's like simple. It's simple, but that doesn't mean easy. So uh, we'll talk about the basics, but it's going to be mostly the hard basics, the ones that, the ones that ruin our day. So look forward to it. It's essential for all, all, all dentists, I think. But if you're, you're new, in a career, new in your career, I think this will save you a lot of heartache, heartbreak, stressful moments to, to, to sort of get into the, the mindset of how to fulfill the rest of your career uh, working in a reduced stressed way. So de-stressing from class, you know, for your, from class one composites to tricky crown prep, subgingival dentistry, a lot of what we talked about today. So I know Link's working really hard to put on really good content for that, as, as you expect from Link. So Link, we look forward to seeing you here, mate. Oh, well, I look forward to coming. And, you know, then you can take me to a good British pub afterwards. <laughs> of course. Brilliant, Link. Thanks so much. Well, there we have it, guys. Lincoln Harris on subgingival dentistry. Uh, I hope you gained so much value from that. I know I did. Yet again, I'm going to go ahead and get an infographic made and a summary of this podcast because there's so many little gems in there and I don't want you to miss anything. So I will email you that. If you're not already on my email list, go to protrusive.co.uk forward slash emails. And once again, Lincoln is coming to London. This is a big deal, guys. All right. He doesn't often make this trip and he's lecturing live for the full day from class one composite to complicated crown preps come and join us saturday 1st of october that's destress.dental d-e-s-t-r-e-s-s dot dental uh, that's the url book on now and definitely do it before 14th of september to get that early bird rate anyway i'll catch you in the next episode and of course if you haven't listened to episode 54 go back and listen to that one because there's more of link and i know you would have liked that so uh, i'll catch you in the next one guys and i hope to see many of you in london on the 1st of october 